0: All right, if you found Galatians chapter 4, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. Galatians chapter 4. Thank you for being here in the rain today. I know you didn't come for me. Uh, You just come because being faithful to the Lord. It is an encouragement. Just as a pastor, it's an encouragement to have people here. Let me tell you what is a discouragement when they start yesterday morning talking about how bad the weather's going to be today. And uh, Brad Panovich saying he wants my folks to be weathered. Aware. I want them to be weather unaware. That's what I want my people to be. Thank you for being here on a Sunday morning in the rain. Let's go to the Bible. See what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. Grats with us and the flowers fade with the word of our God. Join me there. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will take this passage and minister to the hearts of people that need the joy of the Lord to return. Father, I pray that today you would bring back new strength, and hope. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of those that are blinded by their own sin, that you would unstop the ears of those that have not responded to the Word of God. I pray that you would find us faithful, that we walk away loving Christ more because of this passage today. We need your help for that. We ask for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe may be seated. You don't normally go to Galatians for Christmas, but the passage before us this morning is more powerful than it appears at first glance. It is written with an economy of language. It pulsates with joy. You find here this depth as you slow down and think through some of the latent truth found here. I say latent because you may not see it as you ride by it for the very first time, but you keep going by and you keep going by and you slow down and you look. You find something there. We're the third third week into the Advent and during this month we have been celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus. We have been concentrating on the coming of Christ and all of the celebration we have around the coming of Christ. And and that profound meaning that it has for every one of us who are actually children of God. This passage is tucked into an argument. We don't just pull scripture out and hold it up and say, look at this. We want to read a passage in its context, doing expositional preaching. That's why we go through the Gospel of Mark. We'll pick it back up in January. We'll we'll finish it next year. It takes two years to get through it. But when we look at this passage, we got to know that it is written in a context and Paul is doing something in Galatians. Paul is making an argument of how the coming of Jesus Christ actually makes men and women into sons and daughters of God. That every person who believes in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus becomes a son or a daughter of God of God. It does it with, with straightforward language, clipped prose. Paul tells us how we can go from actually being slaves to sin and become genuine, actual, legal adopted children of God. What's the context in chapter 3 if you were to read if you were to read Galatians, maybe we'll do Galatians after Mark. I don't know somebody suggested that today. Maybe we'll go to Galatians. But if you're reading the book of Galatians and you get to chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's what the cross is about. And then chapter 4, Paul tells us that the transaction, what happened at the cross, has an effect. It saves us and makes it so that we are able to be adopted by God. So that every person who believes on this third Advent, on this third Advent, on a rainy day, another rainy Sunday, when we walk out of here, I want you to be able to rejoice in the real coming King. I want this passage to convince you that you should trust Jesus more, that you should worship Him more, that you should love Him more even more than you already do. Now, for all of you that wandered in today, and you are not Christians or you're not exactly sure what you are, when you hear this, and even as I'm preaching today, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe you hadn't ever prayed, it's good for you to just silently ask God. Just ask Him, God, give give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear. What does the Bible say to me? Let's focus our attention on the coming of Jesus at Advent because this is how I'm going to say the sort of the overarching theme of the sermon Advent at Advent God offers words of future of life, future and hope at Advent God offers words of life of a future and of a hope <clears throat> if we're going to do that let's then just use words. I normally will use sentences for my points. Today, I just want to use words. Let's just go through. I'll take a word and then try to hang the truth of the Bible on that word. Here's the first word. Number one is the word intervention. Intervention. I don't mean when you sit down with a friend that needs some accountability and you're trying to stop him from something. I mean divine intervention. You probably already saw it in verse four. Let's go back there to verse four and uh, let's take a look at what the first sentence Notice it with me, verse 4. It goes like this. But, see that one? But, comma, when the fullness of God, when the fullness of time had come. But, comma, when the fullness of time had come, God. What I want to do is take that phrase, when the fullness of time had come, lift it up and put it on the shelf just for a moment, and on the outer corners of that sentence, you have the two words, but God. You pull them together and you'll notice that you have intervention. Why do we need intervention? When you read this, you'll find out that that little phrase, but God, actually is the gospel. Why? Because Paul tells us in chapter 3 that we were enslaved by the law. We were enslaved by sin. We were accused by the law. We were shackled by our sin. We were whipped by our conscience. We were slaves. We were abused by guilt. We were slaves. And at Advent, that little phrase, but God, frees us. It's what Paul will use over in Ephesians. If you're memorizing Ephesians chapter 2, when you get to the part that talks about us all being children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, the same thing. It's a proclamation that you are set free. And the problem we run into that in this room right now, churches all over America, there are people that have heard the gospel that maybe even have believed it and yet are acting as if you are still a slave to sin. And this phrase right here, but God, tells us that you can forevermore be free. This phrase reminds us that the coming of Christ is the turning point in history. Apart from these two words, but God. Apart from those two words, life offers no future, no hope, no freedom. Look, if if your if your soul isn't unshackled by the phrase, but God, then you remain a slave to sin. A slave, maybe not, maybe you can't see it as a slave, maybe it's a slave to something else. Maybe a slave to fashion or a slave to the culture or a slave to sex or a slave to popularity or a slave to drugs or a slave to success or a slave to work. Or or maybe what you're shackled by is something that is much more respectable. Have a respectable sense. Look, if if your soul is not awakened by the phrase, but God, you remain a slave to your respectability. You're a good station in life. You working so hard to make sure your children are successful. Look, you're still a slave. You just just got a better haircut than them other people. Still a slave, still shackled, still not free. And this passage tells us that at Advent, God has intervened. Let's talk about how he has intervened. So you have that first word, intervention. Let me give you another word that you'll see in the Bible. It's the word completion, completion. Intervention, completion. Look at the timing. We ought to marvel at the timing of God. Go back to verse four, but on one end, God on the other. Take that little phrase, put it there. But when the fullness of time had come, God, what did He do? Sent forth His Son. Paul's right there. When the fullness of time had come. Now, my question is, why? Was that the fullness of time? Go back 2,020 years or so ago, why not 1960? Why not 1450? Why, why back at that point in history, why was that the perfect time? This, look, if, even if you don't like history, this ought to be interesting. I, for those of you that don't like history, I cannot understand why you don't like history. You should like history. Because that is God moving in the past to show us his providence so that we can trust him in the future. Most commentators would give you several reasons. (coughs) Excuse me. Most commentators would give you several reasons why um, this is the right time, at least four. I think John MacArthur said this, probably John Piper, a couple others have said this. Why was it the right time? It was the right time, number one, theologically. The right time, theologically. Everything written about Christ in the Old Testament was leading up to this point. When you open the Bible in January and you start reading it, you begin in Genesis chapter 1 and a couple of days in, you're going to get to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have fallen into sin and God has pronounced judgment on them. He pronounced judgment on the serpent and in that judgment on the serpent, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, go look it up. There is a promise that one is coming from the very beginning. We've had the gospel promise. Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise and a covenant with Abraham, and he promises that God will bless all nations through Abraham, which will be Christ. You get to the Old Testament rendering of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, then again in Deuteronomy. There you have God's law working its purpose. The law of God, the Ten Commandments show us two things, really three. The law of God shows us the holiness of God. The law of God shows us our sinfulness, our inability to keep the Ten Commandments. The third thing is the law of God shows us that we need Christ. By this time in history, the law has done all of its work. You read the Old Testament prophecies. There are over 300 direct prophecies of Christ. They were to be fulfilled. When you get to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that this coming of Christ at this time was part of the eternal plan of God from the foundation of the world. It's the right time theologically. It was also the right time religiously, the right time religiously. Think with me now what was going on in that day and time when Jesus came into the world. What was happening? There were two prevailing religions Jesus' day where he lived. One was the paganism of Rome. The other was the Judaism of the Jews. That day and time when Christ came into the world, the paganism of Rome was was completely bankrupt. It was empty, completely empty. Listen to a lecture right now on early medieval history from the year 300 to about the year 700, and even then you can see the paganism of Rome has been, been stripped of any real spirituality. There's nothing to it. It's just ritual. So Jesus came into this Roman religion was ritual. The, the Jewish religion wasn't much better. It was shiftless. It didn't have any leadership, longing for a Messiah. There's no written nothing has been given to us. 400 years of silence. Paul says in Romans that before Christ came all creation groaned. It was the right time theologically. It was the right time religiously. It was the right time culturally. Think about the culture if you you do like history? When Jesus was born, he was born into a world that had one language that tied them together. Some people spoke some language, some people people spoke Hebrew, some Aramaic, others Latin, but there was one language that tied them all together, and it was Greek. Because over 300 years prior to the coming of Jesus, a man named Alexander the Great and his army swept across the Mediterranean and conquered all of that known world and forced them to learn Greek. And although we call him Alexander the Great, God is the one who's great because he laid the groundwork. Jesus comes into the world. There's one language where the gospel can be spread quickly. There don't need to be any translation. When I go and preach in a foreign country, i got to have somebody standing beside me translating for me. When Jesus came into the world, there was no need. When I go right now to look at original language, and study the word for the New Testament, it is written in Greek. That is the right time culturally. Not only the right time culturally, what about politically? What was going on with the politics of the day? After Alexander the Great conquers, and then finally they'll come off the scene and the Romans will come in and they will conquer everything. You know of the Roman Empire, they conquer the known world going in across the Mediterranean over what we know as Europe, crossing the channel into Britain. They had all of the world, but what came with the Roman Empire was something called the Peace of Rome, Pax Romana. It meant that you could travel all throughout the empire, not just peacefully, but they had an infrastructure and paved roads so that the gospel could travel miles and miles. And God holding all of this in his hand, knowing that it was the fullness of time, reminding us once again, That our all-controlling God works through time so perfectly to accomplish His good and divine saving purposes. What is He doing now? I mean, here we are. It's December the seventeenth, and we stand on this hill. December the seventeenth. We turn around, look, look back, look back, look back, look back. Five months, six months, a year. What all of you come through? You stand here on the end of this year knowing that's all in His hand and we're reminded you can trust Him in adversity. You can pray to Him in calamity. You can worship this all-wise God and His movement in time. Everything He's done in your past leading up to this moment. Look, even your presence here today to hear this message planned perfectly to bring you to a deep, loving relationship with Him through Christ, to take you to the cross so you can see that Christ died in your place. See, at Advent, we, we've got two words so far. At Advent, we celebrate His intervention, but God. At Advent, we celebrate His completion when the fullness of time had come. Let me give you a third word to, to maybe hang some truth on. Here's the third word, is the word mission. Mission. You probably already see it there in verse 4. Look with me again at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His only Son. God sent forth His only Son. But God, intervention, Fullness of time to come. Completion. What did he do? Sent. You see that word sent? You ought to circle that word sent. Pay very close attention to that word. This is how we understand Christmas. How do we understand missions? That we are sent by God. This is God's initiative. God's plan. What you have here is God's language. He sent Jesus. Here, Here is Christmas. Not as a Here's Christmas, not as a quiet holiday. I don't know what you think about Christmas. I look forward to quietness of Christmas. Maybe, maybe your home is decorated beautifully and you have put up a tree. We, we got a tree up. It's the first year we've ever not had a, a real tree. But I always feel like I've got to finance that real tree. They got so too expensive. And uh, now I can take this one down and put it in a box and be done with it when it's over. I don't know what's going to happen when you go home and you, your home is decorated nicely and you look forward to a, a quiet Christmas when you read this passage, you find out that the advent, the coming of Jesus, it's not a quiet Christmas. This is a rescue mission. God sent his son. Looked at you and he sent. God sees us trapped. says, so trapped in sadness and sin, swimming, in guilt, burdened by addiction, drowning in grief. And God sent his son. God sent, when Jesus talked about mission, when he talked to his disciples, here's what he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. This is why we celebrate missionaries. This is why we thank God. This is why we commission them all, because they are sent by God. And Jesus is the original sent one, sent to get us out of the trap, sent to remove the shroud of sinful selves sent to make it so that we could be in a loving genuine fellowship freedom with the father look you hear me describe it every single sunday every sunday i've been trying to do this for however many years to walk through the gospel and the categories of the gospel what we believe about how you are saved we put it in four categories If you've never heard this before, you can put it down like this. There are four categories. God is one category. Man is the next. Christ is the third. And then that last category, what you do with that is to believe or response. It goes like this. Always start with God. The Bible begins with God. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth and everything you see. He created you. You are full of dignity because God created you in His image. But that image of God in you, the Bible says has been disfigured by sin, your own sin. Now, you didn't just think sin up. You came into this world with a sinful nature. You got it from your parents, you got it from their parents, all the way back to Adam and Eve. That sinful nature in us makes it so that we are guilty before God, not only in our attitude, but in our actions. That guilt is not just wrong things we've done or mistakes we've made. They're actual crimes against God. God is a judge, and He judges justly. And that crime that we've committed, our sin, the Bible says, the thing you earn with that is is death. The wages of sin is death. So that's God and that's man as a sinner. Let's get to Christ. Here comes Christmas. But God is not just a judge. He is also loving, good, and kind. He sees us in our condition and God sent forth his son, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. We'll talk about that in just a moment comes to the world, lives perfectly in a way that we can't, and at the cross, what does he do? He takes the wrath of God, the punishment. Danny Akin says it like this, and I think it's a good way to explain the gospel, that God killed his son so he wouldn't have to kill you. Jesus dies in our place. The resurrection, God raises him from the dead. He is ascended into heaven. We're told that it, the sacrifice has been accepted, and so God, man, christ now here's the gospel you've heard the gospel the next item the next category is you got to do something with it the information and what you do with that information is you you trust you believe that jesus died for you you believe that your sins are taken away that god has loved you in christ that you are such a sinner that he should have hated you but he came after you and loved you in jesus and you believe that jesus died for you the bible says then the gospel is yours. You are redeemed and adopted are the words here. It's the mission, you see. God sent forth his son. He's the rescuer. The rescuer has come. Turn to the rescuer. You see the words, intervention, but God. And then there's the word completion, when the fullness of time had come. The third word is mission. God sent. God sent forth His Son. Let me get the fourth word. It's the most theological of the day. It's a big word, but you want to learn theology at church. Where else would you learn it? So let's take a look at it. It's the word incarnation. Incarnation. You've heard that word before. All that is is God becoming man. Incarnation is Christmas. Let's break up verse four. I mean, read verse. It's striking to me what all is in verse four. Let me just break it up as we read it. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It is amazing to me how much Christian teaching is in that little verse. Let's uh, let's read it and talk about it. I'll break it up like this. The full divinity. I want you to see the full divinity of Christ. Where do I get that? Verse 4, God sent forth his son. That's the full divinity of Christ. Here we are shown that Jesus is the preexistent one from eternity past all the way into eternity present and into eternity forever. He is the fully, he is the fully divine, infinite son of God that always was. This is how Paul, listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Colossians chapter one, verse 15, 16, and 17. <clears throat> Paul says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Now look, because he is the infinite son of God, Christ alone can bear the infinite wrath of God for us on the cross. It's important we hold on to the doctrine of his full divinity. Because he is the infinite son of God, he then can bear and only him Can he bear the infinite wrath of God for us on the cross? That's the full divinity. What about the full humanity of Christ? God sent forth his son. Let me show it to you, verse 4. God sent forth his son. That's That's the divinity. Where's the humanity? You see it. Born of a woman. There's Christmas right there. There's Mary having the baby Jesus. Born of a woman. Here is the incarnation. Here is the natural normal process of a woman being pregnant, being pregnant for nine months, leading all the way up to a normal birth to a fully human son. Here is Jesus in a manger, born of a woman. Hebrews tells us like this. The writer of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, gives us the reason. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who in every respect has been tempted like we are and yet without sin. When Paul writes the book of Romans, he tells us that sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And since that's the case, salvation comes into the world through one man, Jesus. So you have in your grasp now the full divinity of Jesus the full humanity of Jesus. Let me give you one more. Good theological here in this incarnation. Full divinity, full humanity, the full righteousness of Christ. You see him there? God sent forth his Son. That's divinity. Verse 4. Join me there. God sent forth his Son, divinity, born of a woman, the humanity, born under the law. That is the righteousness, the full righteousness of Christ. Now, certainly we understand that Jesus being fully divine is already internally righteous, but also as a human, he had to be externally righteous. That he wasn't just born a man, he was born a Jewish man that would go to the synagogue and learn what the law says, and then after learning the law, would fulfill all the laws of God. That Jesus would live a completely perfect life righteous life that he is the one perfect person look had he not been perfect had he not been fully righteous he could not redeem unrighteous men and women now i've laid out a good bit right here let's take all of that put it together the full divinity full humanity full righteousness of jesus that means this is what this means Jesus is uniquely and fully qualified, and only Jesus is uniquely and fully qualified to be our Redeemer. Redeemer. This is where we're going. This is the next word. Fifth word is the word redemption. Redemption. You see it in verse 5? I'm going to show it to you. <clears throat> He came to redeem those, to redeem those who were under the law. There's our word. To redeem those who were under the law, those who were held captive, those who were slaves to sin. Remember back in chapter 3, Paul tells us that we were held captive under law, we were imprisoned, and the word redeem is a word of buying and selling. It's giving us a picture of going down to the slave market. You know the word redeem. If you have a coupon, you redeem it for some goods. Redeem is is the language of buying and selling. You go to the store, you have money in your hand and you give the money for a certain good. You give a certain amount of money for something that you were trying to buy. Redemption. And the idea is that we were slaves to sin and what God has done is redeemed us. In this passage, now this is revolutionary, in this passage, this is why it's my favorite word to describe conversion. In this passage, The death of Jesus on the cross is the currency. It's the price paid. And he takes that currency, and that currency purchases the slaves who have been captive. The word redemption means to buy out of slavery. Now, this is important. Don't get them mixed up. This is not manumission, this is not just setting the captives free. There's more to it. Manumission is when a, a slave owner would set slaves free because his conscience got guilty and he said, you know what, it's the right thing to do. Or he would let him go, uh, write it in the will. When he dies, the slaves are set free. But manumission is nothing more than being set free and now you fend for yourself. It's a, it's a gesture of goodwill and you're set free to live. Go and good luck. That's not the language here in verse 5. There's a a sixth word. It's where we've been going the entire sermon. Join me there in verse (coughs) 5. He says, He's redeemed those who were under the law. See that little phrase, so that? That's a purpose clause. So that, this is where everything's been going. So that we might receive adoption. So. Now, brothers and sisters, this is more than just buying out of slavery and setting free, which is a great thing. This picture is God the Father having the currency of the blood of Jesus, his son, and with that currency, purchasing the slaves of sin and not just setting them free, purchasing the slaves of sin so that those slaves can become sons and daughters of His. You understand, right, that think of the Trinity. God the Son is the great emancipator so that God the Father can become the great parent. And in Christ, what God has done has purchased us with his Son's blood so that he might bring us home and clothe us in the perfect righteousness of our elder brother, Jesus. And he brings us into the mansion of glory to a table he has set for us so that we might have perfect fellowship with God the Father in eternity. Here is Advent, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And then Paul says, it gets inclusive, so that we might receive adoption, sons and daughters of God. Advent At Advent, God offers life and future and hope. And I want you to have every bit of that. As we pray this morning, you join me as we pray in a time of commitment and prayer, I want you to listen very quickly with your heads bowed, just for a moment. Especially for those of you sitting here and you still feel shackled. You still, you're you're still, it's not broken yet. But you've heard this. You've heard hope. There's hope. There's hope for you. That hope is in Jesus Christ. We want to talk further about what it means for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to sing. It's our last song of the day. If God has worked in your heart and you think that I want to be adopted, I want you to come forward and talk to one of our pastors about what it means to give your life to Jesus, to know Jesus. If you're not comfortable with that after church, we'll all be out in the lobby. glad to talk to you further. It it certainly deserves a full conversation, what it means to give your life to Jesus. Maybe, uh, maybe as I preach today, you thought of someone and you've been burdened for that someone so it's just an act of faith. You want to just pray for that person. I'd love for you to come forward and pray or you want a pastor to pray with you. You have a burden in your life. You want somebody to pray with you. When we sing this last worship song, we'll invite you to come forward. Our pastors are already sitting here waiting on you to close out the day. Father, thank you for the love you have shown us in Christ. Thank you for the promise of adoption that you make us sons and daughters of God. Help us now, even now, as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.